From WUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Elise Hammond. And I'm Beth Greenman. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. This week, our reporter talks with a paranormal investigator and her thoughts on Athens' most haunted locations. Most people have paranormal experiences in their life. I mean, I think everybody will have something happen that's pretty dramatic uh, or see things. But there are people that just deny it. And we have a preview of next week's special episode of The Outlet and what you can expect to hear. We'll give you all the details and more coming up right here on The Outlet. Next week at Ohio University is Pride Week, where different events are held to celebrate Pride. In honor of that, our next show will be dedicated to Pride. One woman in gender studies class produced the stories which will make up the show. Abby Grise sat down with a professor of the class to discuss what stories you can expect to hear and why they're so important. So I'm here with Dr. Lauren Marsan. Hello. Hi. So the class is called LGBT Media Action. LGBTQ Media Action, Advocacy News, and Praxis. Okay. It's a long name. It is. They always are. Explain what that is. So the class is designed for both non-journalism majors and people within journalism who don't necessarily always focus on multimedia to to both give them access to um, news production as well as to use and think about news and information as a potential form of activism and advocacy. So disseminating information, thinking about the kinds of stories that get produced, uh, the angles that get produced, and to sort of challenge that traditional notion that news is objective, news is unbiased, and to sort of think about the biases that are always inherent in every news story. So with that, what would you say to people who are like, okay, well, this class is biased you know like why why are you focusing on this one issue because all news is biased already that would be my response you can make an effort to make it less biased or to make it have the most angles in it and to be as objective as possible but it's never possible to be truly objective um just if for no other reason than from the very start making every choice that you make kind of results or comes from either an implicit or explicit bias. So just sort of thinking about the news stories that we choose to cover as quote-unquote newsworthy, that is in and of itself a bias. Right. Uh, So how how has it been this semester? You know, like if some students aren't used to journalism and even some who are but might not be used to audio journalism like what has that whole process been like it's been going pretty well uh they start out pretty scared um but they get in the swing of things really really quickly and and i think what it's really sort of interesting to see the pairings of journalism and non-journalism students and the different skills that they bring to the table Uh, because a lot of what we focus on is a little bit theoretical Mm -hmm. in terms of feminist or queer theory and and how to think about knowledge as a production rather than knowledge or truth is something just sort of that exists outside of people. Um, And that sort of idea, I think, is oftentimes a little foreign to some of the journalism students. Mm -hmm. So I think that they've all done a really good job of 
learning from each other and being able to utilize all of their strengths, um, whether they be WGSS-based or journalism-based, and to combine them really, really strongly. Right. So what are some of the stories that are being covered? What can we expect in the episode? We have quite a few diverse stories on the topic of pride, very... Um, very loosely defined. So not just stories on pride as the event, pride as the um, protest, pride as the march, whatever, but also how we think about pride as a concept. So we, uh, one of the stories that we have um, that is uh, coming up is on transgender clergy members and um, how they find pride in um, in religion in ways that is very unique to them um, and, and that's a really interesting story that's coming out really good. Uh, we also have a really cool story on pride tattoos um, and how we show our pride as, mm. as queer people uh, and, and what that means. So that's a pretty good story too that I'm really excited about. They've been working so hard and I think they're at the point where they're a little less terrified and a little more excited, and <laughs> the stuff that they're producing is, is just amazing. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, thank you so much. You're welcome. Audiences in Athens are used to the harmonious chords of the singing men of Ohio, but their tradition of brotherhood through song takes them on an annual journey across the country. Noah Wolf has the story on this year's SMO tour. Each year over spring break, the singing men of Ohio go on tour. Recent tour destinations have included locations like New Orleans, Chicago, and New York. But this year, the singing men of Ohio went southeast. They started their trip in Asheville, North Carolina, continued to Charleston, South Carolina, then to Daytona Beach, Florida, then Atlanta, Georgia, up to Lexington, Kentucky, and concluded their tour in Cincinnati, Ohio. Members of the group enjoy the ability to be able to share their music with people that may never hear it before and may never hear it again. Nick Langer is a freshman in the Singing Men of Ohio. It means a lot to me that we're able to go on these tours and bring our music where it might not go because we don't do like recording sessions. We don't have like distribution on Spotify and CDs. It means a lot that we can give that live performance to those people who come out to see us. It means a lot that we can share that emotion we feel within these songs and be able to spread our message of the fact that we're a brotherhood. But SMO doesn't just spread the message of brotherhood. They build that brotherhood through the tour. Sean Hollowell is also a freshman in the Singing Men of Ohio. We brought 70 guys all the way to Florida and back. And uh, during that time, I think I was able to like have like a conversation with at least 50 of them and really get to know people. And it was super cool because singing with those guys like one hour, three times a week, you don't always get to have those um, those conversations. So it was really great to meet new people. Some of the brotherhood in the group comes not only from those conversations, but from certain traditions that are unique to SMO and unique to SMO tour. Cody Pomeroy, the group's tour manager and student music director, speaks on one tradition of freshman initiation. Johnny Schmoker is my favorite tune, hands down, in Sing Men of Ohio set. We do it every year. Um, it's an absolute blast. And this year, the first time we sang it was in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, and Danny Sabo came down to introduce the song. If you look at your program, there's a song that's 
song that's missing. I guess we can't look at a missing song, can we? <laughs> um, anyways, the reason it is missing is because us upperclassmen decided to do a song and didn't tell the freshmen about it. So, real quick, I'm gonna get a show of hands from the freshmen in the group. During the song, there's lots of variety of reasons. Y'all have no idea what's going on. And I leaned over to Miss Jackson on the piano and said, hey, you're not going to know what's going on. Can you just give me an E flat and G? Don't worry about it. This will be funny. And she gave me a blank stare, and I walked out there and knew we were in for a treat. It was a packed house, and uh, as we started the song, uh, I could see about 20, 20 faces who had no clue what was going on. And it was probably the funniest thing I've ever seen, uh, conducting that. And then we did that five more times, and I got to laugh every single time. Luckily, it was just as funny for the freshmen as it was for Cody and the upperclassmen, at least according to freshman Benjamin Carmen. It was an experience. I loved it. Um, it was a really fun song. I was completely caught off guard. I did my best to sort of like learn the tune, but I definitely looked like a fool up there. But Johnny Schmoker isn't the only freshman initiation tradition that happens on tour. The upperclassmen like to get to know the freshmen a little bit through a tradition that's aptly named No Smo. So No Smos are kind of a way to introduce the freshmen to the upperclassmen. Um, we have a bit of fun with it. So we ask them some, some goofy questions. Uh, we ask them to sing their high school alma mater. Many of them don't know it, so they make it up on the spots. Um, they do... A, a few different uh, goofy questions and the upperclassmen give them a hard time about it. Um, but it, honestly, it's a good way to get to know the freshmen and it kind of loosens up the, uh, the atmosphere and it's a good way to pass the time on the bus. What's your theater typecast? Oh, no. uh, usually the funny guy. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Make us laugh. Do a scene. Improv. Improv? <laughs> The upperclassmen in SMO do their best to interview everybody that's new to the group, and this year, that included first-year director Bradley Naylor. And I think Chris asked me about my high school alma mater, which I sang just a snippet of. Um, asked me, you know, the typical questions, where did you go to school, what, what's your degree, what year are you? Um, and so I, mine was a little bit different than the rest of the guys, but I, I tried to give a similar insight into my experience that some of the other first-year singers gave into theirs. This being Dr. Naylor's first tour, he didn't really know what to expect out of the group. You know, you think of a long road trip and you think just movie after movie after movie and a lot of time spent sleeping and napping and to, to themselves. But the traditions and the games and the, the ways of interacting on the bus made it always an interesting trip. Never even thought about putting a movie into the DVD player because there were, there were games, there were quizzes, there were fun ways of getting to know each other uh, that surprised me. But now that I think about it, knowing the camaraderie among the group, perhaps I shouldn't have been surprised that that was true. One such way the group kept themselves entertained was through another tradition called jousting. So the basic premise of jousting is like you have two people. One challenges the other usually. It's a, an agreement to settle a... I don't know if it's a dispute or if it's just straight up just wanting to joust someone. 
And so there's one person at each end of the bus, and they run at each other. And the end, end all goal is for each person to reach the other side of the bus. So it's just interesting because. You know, you have guys running at each other full speed down this small little aisleway with people cheering all around, and the chant that started off, and just a very unique experience to witness. Even with all the fun traditions that come with tour. Those in the Singing Men of Ohio agree that the most important thing about tour is the singing. My favorite thing about tour was seeing the journey that the ensemble took from, you know, those last rehearsals the week before we left and the moments of musical, I wouldn't say insecurity, but just not quite having a firm grasp on some details to that final performance where everything was in its proper place and we sang with such confidence and beauty. For the outlet, I'm Noah Wolf. reputation for being one of the most haunted places in Ohio, especially around the former Athens Asylum. The outlet's Lauren Ramoser went on a ghost hunt to try to shed some light on the darkness. It all started with a business card I picked up at the Athens Antique Mall. It advertised the services of a paranormal investigator. Immediately, I imagined a ghost hunt and had pictures of abandoned buildings in my mind. So I met with Gina Cruzel, the woman who calls herself a paranormal investigator. What I do in my paranormal investigations, I clear houses of earthbound spirits, which are ghosts, and I also clear negativity, negative energy off of people, places, and things. Um, and I also um, read tarot cards. And a lot of unusual problems that people have, chances are I may be able to help them with when they defy the normal parameters. Although I was skeptical at first, Gina's calming personality put me at ease. She doesn't try to convince people who do not believe in paranormal activities, even though she is sure they happen. Most people have paranormal experiences in their life. I mean, I think everybody will have something happen that's pretty dramatic um, or see things. But there are people that just deny it. I don't really try to convince anyone because people that have issues know they have issues. The former Athens Asylum is a stereotypical place where people expect certain things might be going on. In this story, it is also a place where the spiritual world collides with history. Gina told me that portals most likely open in spots where there were many people before. To learn more about the history of the asylum, I met with Tom O'Grady from the Southeast Ohio History Center. And there was probably a lot of trauma and psychological stress in those years following the war, on top of all the existing issues of mental health that existed in America. And so asylums grew up. And a lot of people who went in there, they never left. They died there. And so they're buried up there. There's three cemeteries up at the asylum. In the early 1980s, Tom actually lived in the asylum himself. He participated in a program where Ohio University students could live for free if they helped a couple hours each week. And he can understand where the rumors nowadays come from. 
people would always say that there were dungeons in the basement up there. There aren't. I, the, the way we would travel from one end of the building to the other, especially in the wintertime, was to go down to the bottom floor and go through the basement to the other end because it was warm down there. If it was raining outside, it was obviously the way to go. And there's these large arches down there, lots of them. And, and yeah, they look like dungeons, but they don't have doors on them. They're just arches. And there were never any chains or shackles on the walls. Never saw anything like that. Never even saw any holes in the wall where they could have had chains or shackles. Tom says there were never any creepy rumors about the asylum back then. He thinks that being fascinated by haunted things is kind of a trend right now. We give asylum tours, and I've, I've talked to people afterwards, and they say, oh yeah, it was a really interesting tour, because George tells them all kind of stories and all kind of facts about the history of mental health and the history of the asylum, and it's fascinating. And then I had somebody say, well, yeah, it was really interesting, but I was really hoping to get scared. And they weren't hoping to get scared. What they were hoping for was some sort of a thrill. It's like when you go to a movie. When you go to a movie, you want to see a thrilling movie. You want to be sitting on the edge of your seat. And so that's, that's what people are looking for. While Tom calls it a fascination, Gina refers to this phenomenon as an awareness. I think that we may have more aware of it, awareness of it now because we talk to each other differently. I mean, you can get on the Internet and, and talk to people all over the globe where, you know, back in... 1590 or 25 years AD, they just couldn't communicate so fast. After all this, I can't tell if there's paranormal activity going on in and around Athens. It's about believing and spiritual activities, which are ingrained in almost any culture and religion. Finding Gina's business card was interesting because the business aspect of paranormal activity is so intriguing. That's it for our show this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is co-produced and hosted each week by me, Beth Greenman, and Elise Haymond. We're edited by Atish Baidia, Susan Tebbin, and Allison Hunter. Adam Rich is our technical assistant, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud and iTunes, or find us online at wob.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Outlet underscore WOUB and Instagram at WOUB underscore Outlet. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. Thanks for listening.